Let's look in our Bibles this morning, your copy of the Word of God to Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. Philippians chapter 3. And I would invite you to read the text with me from the board aloud that we would read the Word of the Lord together. The Word of God says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. There was, a, there was a young man who had worked really hard and he had come into a really good idea and he sold it and uh, he made the right investments. And by the time he was 27 years old, he was a multi-billionaire, multi-billionaire. Uh, he, had, he had properties in just about every exotic location you can imagine. He, uh, he, had a, he had his own little ski resort kind of place in Aspen, Colorado. He, he had a summer home up in the, the, just the nicest places you can think of. He had a winter home. He had all of his stuff. Uh, uh, mansions galore. He had his own private jet. He had all of that. And one day he decided that, you know, I'm, I'm only 27 years old and, and I've, I've worked for everything that I have and I have everything that I could ever want. And so I'm to the point to where I really don't have anything else to spend on. And yet there is more that I want to do. So he decided to sell all of his homes and liquidate it all so that he had all of his money with him. And he decided to travel to, to fly over to Switzerland in the Alps so that he could build his own luxurious mansion, something that you can only imagine, just the beauty and all of this that is there, something that was going to cost millions of dollars. And so, and on the plane ride over there, he was getting ready for all of this whenever there was a communication and navigation malfunction in the plane, and the plane went down into the ocean, and neither he nor the plane was ever heard from again. Now, that is not a true story. However, it is a story that's kind of a modern version of a story that Jesus told. Jesus told the story of a young man who had built all of these barns and amassed all of these possessions. And he, and he says, soul, I've gained everything that I want and now my barns are full. What will I do? I will tear them down and I will build bigger barns so that I can fill them up uh, to all to my glory. And Jesus his divine commentary of this young man was that, man, he's really good with money. Man, he's a hard worker. Look at what all he has accomplished. 
That wasn't Jesus's divine commentary on him, was it? No, it wasn't. What did he say? You fool. Do you not know that your soul will be required of you this very day? And then what will happen to all of your barns then? You see, the moral of the story, that the idea of the story is what do we value? What do we value in life? What is it that we are working for? What is it that we are, that we are aiming for and slaving for and living for and even willing to die for? What is it that you wake up in the morning and think about the first thing on your mind? What is the last thing you're thinking about when you go to sleep? Whenever I do counseling, uh, oftentimes people will come with anger issues and they have all of this anger that is built up. And one of the things that I always tell them is that anger is always involved. It's a, it's a reaction when you feel like you have been wronged. And therefore, two things are always gonna be true about it. It is always gonna be connected to what you love and it is always gonna be connected to your values. And what we get angry about is, a, is often a kind of thermometer to tell us what it is that we are valuing in life. And this morning, what I want you to consider and my purpose this morning is to ask you to, that how much is it that you value Christ? How much do you value him? I want you to, to awaken a desire within you that you will long to value Christ over every worldly significance that you may have over everything in this earth, over and above everything that may entice you in this world. I, I'm gonna ask you this morning to consider to value Christ more. And so when Paul is writing this letter, he's writing it to the church at Philippi, as you can see, and he's wanting them, uh, he's wanting them that are so zealous for the Old Testament law. He's warning them about them. He's saying, watch out for these kind of people. And he's saying, look, if anyone has any right to brag about being in the flesh and fleshly accomplishments, it's me. And in verses three through six, he basically gives a laundry list of everything that a Jew could ever brag about during that day. Of the, of the noble tribe of Benjamin, circumcised on the eighth day, as to the law, blameless, a Pharisee of Pharisees, all of these things. Imagine everything that is great about being a citizen of the United States and putting that in a list, and that is what Paul is doing with being a Jew. Every reason that I would have to boast, every reason that I would have confidence in the flesh, I have all of that. And if anyone has any reason to brag, but you better believe it's me. And yet look what he says at the beginning of our text in verse seven. He says, and yet whatever gain I have, I have counted it as loss. Imagine everything that you are proud of as being an American, everything you are proud of and all of your accomplishments, everything that you have, whether they are degrees or whether they are retirement funds or whether they are whatever it is, all of that, Paul says, I have counted them as loss, counted them as garbage. 
And he even strengthens it even further. Don't miss this verb tense. He says, indeed, I count everything as loss. This is not just some emotionalistic one-time decision. This is, a, this is a settled disposition for his life that he has that every day he wakes up and he decides once again that everything that I held confidence in at one time is garbage. Paul was one of the rising stars of his day, sitting at the best teachers that Jerusalem had to offer. He was, he was well on his way, probably even maybe even to being the high priest one day. And yet he went from being one of the most recognizable, most celebrated teachers in all Jerusalem to being public enemy number one. And he was okay with that. What was it? that made him so willing to give up his status, to give up his career, to give up everything he worked for? What was it that made him so willing to cast all of that aside? He says in verse eight, for the surpassing value of knowing Christ. The surpassing value, beloved, oh, underline that word. Surpassing value. That everything else, in fact, look what he says. He says, for uh, I have counted everything as loss because of the surpassing that worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, this is not just talk. For his sake, Paul has suffered the loss of everything and he counts them as rubbish. Which by the way, English translations tend to be very polite. That does not mean Trash. I won't tell you what it means because it's gross. But imagine just the most worthless thing that you can produce. And Paul says that all of the greatest things that I accomplished are just like that compared to this. The surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. So beloved, what he's trying to get the Philippians to do this morning is to get us to set our affections on Christ above everything else that we value. Set your affections on knowing Christ above everything else that this world could possibly ever give you. Why is it that we celebrate this day? Why is it that we all come together this day? Why is it that, that even among non-believers, we know that this is the day that we come to church? Why is it that this day has become so special in the history of the church? Because this is the day, Resurrection Sunday, that we understand that Christ is the surpassing glory of God. He demonstrated that in his resurrection. And we know because of today, what we commemorate today, we know that we have the surpassing value of knowing Christ. And we ask you this morning, Paul is asking you this morning to set your affections on him, on knowing him more than anything else that this world might give you. What's so great about knowing Christ? What's so great about it? What is it that makes it so wonderful? What is it that gives it such its surpassing worth? Well, there's a lot of things we could say, but Paul is gonna give us three this morning in his text, three values that we find in this text. You're gonna notice in some of your translations, it's not as clear in all of them, but you're gonna find that word that over three times between verses nine and 11. We're gonna look at each one of those. Each one of those is the values that Paul is giving us. 
It says that we may have his righteousness, that we may know his power, and that we may become like him. And so let's begin in verse, in verse nine. What is it that makes Christ of such surpassing value? Number one, that because by knowing him, we have his righteousness. Look in verse nine. It says, and in order, if, go back to verse eight. He says, in order that I may gain Christ. This is a, this is a financial term, like capital gains, it's like he's saying that in order that I may gain Christ, that my portfolio may have no diversified funds in it whatsoever, only one fund that meets the mark, and that is Christ in Christ alone. That I may gain him and, and everything that comes with him. His investment in eternity is not in the things that's attempting to impress others with, but instead it is only one thing, and that is his investment return is Christ and Christ alone. And why is that? Because in verse 9 he says, and to be found in him, be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. In other words, all of those things that Paul lists in verses four through six, all of those things that he said, these are the things that I took confidence in. These are the things that I thought were gaining me hope, gaining me righteousness. It was like a race that he kept running and Paul was determined to be in the winner's circle. Paul was determined to be at the top of the race, at the, at the top of his world, the king of his castle, the victor of his prize. And Paul says that this race for me to be at the top, the closer I got, the closer I thought that would bring me to God. And yet now I understand the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, being found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that is from the law, but a righteousness that comes by faith in Christ. You see, the only one who runs, the only one who wins the race is Christ. And the only investment that returns is Christ. Everything else is a losing proposition. Everything else is a faulty assumption. Everything else is losing. Only Christ has won. And this is so important. One of the most important characteristics of God is knowing his holiness. In fact, he is so holy that in Habakkuk chapter one, verses 13, I'm not gonna make you turn there because I know most of us can't find it, but Habakkuk chapter one, verse 13, he's, Habakkuk is praying to the Lord and he says, you, Yahweh, are of purer eyes than to even look at evil. You cannot even look at wrong. God is so holy that, that sin cannot be in his presence at all. Sin cannot even be in the very presence of God. God commands that all who would come to him must be holy. In fact, he says this in the law. In Leviticus chapter 11, verse 45, the Legacy Standard Bible translates it this way. For I am Yahweh who brought you up from the land of Egypt to be your God. And watch this. Thus you shall be holy for I am holy. The problem is we're not holy, are we? We're not holy. In fact, how many of you actually had to fight to come to church this morning? Weren't those, weren't those, comforts, weren't those comforters just a little more comfy this morning? 
Weren't your blankets just a little more snuggly on Sunday? Don't you just wanna take a nap? Sleep in late on Sunday, church, ugh. Hey, I'm the pastor, I feel that way too sometimes. I'm not gonna lie to you, right? Just a little more. You see, we're not holy. Even on our best days, we're not holy. Even on our best days, we're not righteous. And so how can a holy God have a sinful people in his presence? And that's the realization that Paul came to, being found in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own by the law, but a righteousness that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. And what righteousness is that? Look what the verse goes on to say. It's the very righteousness of God. You see, the very righteousness of God, the one who who ran the race and won, the only one whose portfolio will return an investment now, all of his righteousness is placed on our account when we place our faith in Jesus Christ. God says, if you would come to heaven, if you wanna have a shot at heaven, you've got to be as holy as I am. You say, well, I can't do that. Well, God can. And so he came in human flesh and he earned the righteousness and holiness that you and I need that we can now have by faith in Christ. Why would you turn that away? Why would you refuse that? There's a lady who fell for the Nigerian scam. You know, you know that scam, right? And you got some long lost relative in Nigeria. I cannot imagine being an inheritance banker in Nigeria. It must be a nightmare, right? And she fell for the scam. Basically the way it works is they send you a huge cashier's check and then you send them a portion back. And of course the cashier's check is not good. And she fell for the scam and her account was in the hole, $46,000 in the red. It might as well have been $46 million. She couldn't pay that. And can you imagine if Bill Gates or, or Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos or Steve Jobs, well, can't really imagine that anymore, but can you imagine one of these billionaires, one of, one of, one of the earth's richest people walked up to this lady and said, you know, I know you're having trouble here. I want you to have my personal debit card to take care of everything you need and to live on for the rest of your life. And can you imagine if that lady would say, no, I got it. I got a 20 in my pocket. I'm good. Would that not be stupid? How many of you are being stupid this morning? You're trading in, you're refusing the very righteousness of God that he is offering to place on your account. You're saying, no, I'm good, buddy. I got a Benjamin in my pocket. I got this. I'm good. When your account is millions, 20,000 talents in debt, And you think your measly little Benjamin is gonna get you by? No, it's not. You need the very righteousness of God. Why would you refuse such a lavish gift from the one who wants to be your savior? Why would you refuse that? Why would you do that? What more must he do to convince you to accept his gift. What more do you need? How much is enough? Don't refuse him. Don't run away from him.
Don't think you've got this, but come to Christ and have his righteousness. And when you do, you will also know his power. Look, in, look on in verse 10. He says that, here's the second phrase, that, that I may know him, that we may know his power. What is it that we know? That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. This is Easter, right? So we're talking about Christ's resurrection. I know some people don't like to go to church because every time they go, the preacher only preaches on Jesus's birth or Jesus's resurrection, you know? <laughs> but that's what we're here to talk about this morning, his resurrection and the power that you can know through his resurrection. Paul says that I may know him and the power, notice that phrase, Notice that wording is very important because Paul doesn't want to just know about the resurrection. He's not necessarily here talking about the historical facts about the resurrection. He's not just talking about those things, but he says, I want to know the power that is available to me in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul doesn't really say what the power is here. He only mentions it. But let me ask you a question. Why is it so important that Christ is raised? Why is it so important that we believe this? Why is, it, why is it the center of our faith? It's not just that the resurrection is proof of our faith, even though, yes, it is. But beloved, the resurrection is the power of our faith. It is the power by which we live. It is the power by which we do everything. Look at Paul in, in Romans chapter eight in verse 11. Look what he says here. He says, From the, if the spirit of him, that's the Holy Spirit, who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, watch this, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. You want the power of God dwelling in you? Amen. Where is that power demonstrated? In the resurrection, beloved. The resurrection is the power of our faith. It's not just the proof of our faith, even though it is, but it is the power of it. It is by which we do everything. The power of Christ's resurrection comes to us through the spirit that dwells in us. And what happens then? We have power to live like Christ. Amen. In fact, look at some of the things that, and I don't have, I don't, not gonna go over all of these. If you could read that, and it's a little small. But look at what all Christ's power gives us. It gives us everything we need for life and godliness in 2 Peter. It, it helps us to endure in hardship in 2 Corinthians. It empowers us for witness in Acts chapter one. It, it's power for proclamation in 1 Corinthians chapter two. It gives us hope in Romans 15. We need a lot of hope today, don't we? I could go for the rest of my life without hearing the words social distance and COVID-19 again, and I will be pretty happy, right? Don't we need a little hope? You're not gonna find it in this world, beloved. You're not gonna find it anywhere here where you are gonna find eternal hope is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's inner strength for believers, it's, it's, it guards our salvation. That's why we don't have to worry about messing it up because he, it's his power that's guarding it, not ours. It gives us power to resist sin and temptation. And the list could go 
on and on and on. How do we live the Christian life? We don't do it in our own strength. You know what that leads to? Legalism. Holier than thou. Boy, don't you just love those people? Aren't they just great? Beloved, churchianity will make you feel pretty proud. Christianity will bring you to your knees. It'll put you on your face. Because you know that the only, the only surpassing worth is not anything I've accomplished, but it is only Christ and him crucified. And so, when I was in middle school, I had a problem with bullies. Uh, There's this one guy in particular that he was just always wanting to fight me and, and all of that. He was always trying to start fights with me. And what's worse, he lived in my neighborhood, so I didn't even get a reprieve from him whenever I left school because he knew where I lived. And sometimes he would show up and try to egg me outside and that kind of stuff. And so I don't know if I told you this, but uh, our family is actually friends with the Clintons. And, uh, and this is right when he was elevated to the White House and, and uh, he had just taken office. And, uh, and, you know, and Chelsea and I played together a little bit whenever we were kids. And so I called Chelsea up and I told her about this problem with the bully I had. And, and about a few minutes later, Bill himself calls me and says, uh, hey, I heard you're having a problem with the bully. I said, yeah. He says, well, Randy, I don't, I don't want you to have to deal with that bully. I'll tell you what, why don't you take command of the military for a day? And uh, go let the military take care of it for you. And I said, sure. Now, how many of you believe that? I don't know the Clintons. I did have a bully, but I took care of it. Um, (laughs) I wasn't saved at that point. I'm sorry, guys. (laughs) But uh, why is that story so hard to believe, though? Because don't you think that's just a little overkill to take the entire might of the military of the American armed forces to handle just this little bully here? I mean, that just seems like overkill, right? Beloved, do you understand the power that's available to you in Jesus Christ? Do you understand the power that God has placed for you? The very power that has defeated death and hell itself. You think Al-Qaeda is a bad enemy? Death and hell itself has been defeated by Christ. And that power is available to you. Why would you not take it? Why would you not take it? When that sin or that habit or that addiction or that difficulty begins to bully you in life, you have the ability to dispatch the entire military, the power of God, to bring that enemy down. The only power it has over you is what you give to it. The only power it has over you is what you've allowed it to have. And in the power of Christ, you can have victory. I'm not saying it's not a war. It's spiritual warfare. I'm not saying it's always easy. It's not. But the war is won. You may fight a battle, but the war is over. The resurrection, all of the power of resurrection is to your aid. The power for hope, the power for endurance, the power for everything you need to display the glory of God in your life regardless of your circumstances. 
All of that power is available to you through faith in Jesus Christ. Why would you refuse that? Why would you? What's the result of this power? It, it causes us, it helps us to be like Christ. That's the third value here. That we would, that we would, um, <laughs> what did I say? That we would have his righteousness, that we would know his power, and that we would become like Christ. Look what Paul says in verses 10 and 11. He says, that I may share his sufferings and become like him in his death. Say, well, that doesn't sound great. Becoming like him in his death, sharing in his suffering. Actually, you know, there's two aspects to sharing in his suffering. Number one is the suffering in which he endured so that you can be saved. You share in that salvation he earned through his suffering. There's one aspect, but there's a second aspect to it. And that is this, why would we want this? Beloved, no one ever said that the Christian life is easy. No one ever said, in fact, it's not easy. It's not difficult. It is impossible without the power of the Holy Spirit. But no one ever said that that does not come with struggles. No one ever said that that doesn't come with spiritual battle and spiritual warfare. No one ever said that this life in any way whatsoever can happen without suffering. One of the biggest lies that our culture tells us is that you, if you are suffering, you are somehow abnormal. No, beloved, in this life, suffering is normal. In this life, suffering is our experience. But you see, it's different for an unbeliever than it is for a Christian. Because when an unbeliever, when you suffer, you suffer because life is just being life. And that's all there is to it. But when a believer suffers, we understand that through that suffering, God is using it to make us more like Jesus Christ. And you are never more like Christ than when you suffer and you respond to it in a faithful way. When you are suffering and you respond to it in a Christ-like way and you display the glory of God through that suffering, you're never more like Christ than when you do that. I'm not saying it's easy. In fact, it's difficult. It, it's impossible for us to do in our flesh. But for the one who knows Christ, suffering is a gift. Suffering is something that, that, we, that we know that God is bringing into our lives in order that we may be more like him. Anybody who tells you that the Christian life comes without suffering is selling you a bill of goods and probably plans on buying a BMW with your tithe. But anyway, that's beyond the point. They are, they are selling you a bill of goods. Beloved, this life comes with suffering, and it's okay. It's okay. It's normal. Paul says that God has not allowed anything to come into your life that is not common to the experience of man. <clears throat> Every sin you struggle with, every depression you suffer with, every worry you have, everything that you just, that habit you can't seem to break, beloved, you need to understand that that is normal. That is normal. And the power we have in Christ is to be able to endure those sufferings because the gospel gives us hope beyond that. He frees us from that bondage that it wants to place us under. 
And he gives us hope. He gives us peace. That's why Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, watch this. He says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. And he goes on to say that I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, that is when the strength of Christ comes through. Oh, Christian, how we need to learn this again. How we need to understand this again. So that we can endure sufferings the way that Christ did. Are you going through difficulty this morning? You know, so oftentimes the difficulties that Christ brings in our lives, so often they're the very things that we love that God is taking away. So often it is. He's taking away the things that perhaps in your life you love more than Christ. That doesn't mean it's inappropriate to love them, but you're worshiping the gift instead of the giver. And you see, so often, maybe it is that God is using that very suffering you're going through to convince you of your need of a greater hope. To draw your heart away so that you will value what is eternal and get that eternal perspective. My friend, if you consider that the very hardship and difficulty you're going through this morning may be the very thing that God is using you to draw you to Christ. Christian, beloved, maybe you're, the very hardship you're facing this morning is the very thing that God would use to form you more into the image of Jesus Christ. Because none of that is temporary. I mean, none of that is, is permanent. It's all temporary. But Christ is eternal. And everything on this earth that we put our value in, we put our trust in, will ultimately go away. But when we have the surpassing value of Christ in our hearts, beloved, that will last for eternity. So will you value Christ more than anything this world has to offer? Have you thought that maybe he's not looking to take away your struggle, but he's looking to do something better with it? He's looking to redeem it. What kind of people would we be if God just took away our suffering immediately? We would never learn patience. Think of how many fruits of the Spirit are require suffering, require suffering to build. Love, joy, peace, brotherly kindness, Humility, true affection. Think of how many fruits of the Spirit are required by suffering. So, beloved, do you know the surpassing value of Christ? That you may be like Him, that you may have His righteousness, not your own, and that you may know His power. Do you have the surpassing value of Christ in your heart? Is that what you're setting your affections on? Is that what you're chasing after? Or is your life revolving around something else? Some lesser God 
that will only disappoint you in the end. That's all it can do. Everything other than Christ himself will crush under the weight of your worship. Everything other than Christ himself will be destroyed by the weight of your worship. Everything in life will ultimately be taken away. But Christ will be forever. Say, so what do I need to do? What's necessary for me in order to overcome the hurdles that have kept me to this point from valuing Christ more than all these worldly competitors? You need to understand, none of us have arrived. In fact, Paul goes on to say that. Look what he says in verse 12. Very next thing he says, not that I've already obtained this. Paul hasn't arrived. Neither have I. Neither have you. But look at the next few verses. Look what he says. How do we, what is necessary? Look what he says. He says, but I press on to make it my own. In other words, develop your own personal faith. Don't be satisfied with your parents' faith. Don't be satisfied with your grandmother or grandfather's faith. Don't be satisfied with your friend's faith. And beloved, please don't be satisfied with your pastor's faith. Develop your own faith. Press on to make it your own every single day. Parents, encourage your children to ask questions. Husbands, give your wives time that she needs in order to have prayer, in order to have personal closet time. And wives, you must do the same thing for your husbands. Pray together. Pray with your children. Read scripture together. Make it your own. And parents, oh my goodness, parents, do not be afraid of your children's questions. Let your children ask questions. Let them ask tough questions about the faith. And if you don't know the answer, that's fine. That's why we have Stefan. But questions are the way that children make their faith their own. Don't be afraid of questions. Be afraid of when they're not asking questions anymore. Let them ask questions. Develop your own faith. Number two, look what Paul says. I press on to make it my own. He says, I don't consider that I, I do not consider that I've made it my own. But one thing I do, forget what lies behind Don't worry about all the times you've tried to get going and you failed. Don't don't worry about all the times you started and didn't finish. Don't worry about all the mistakes you've made and the sins you've committed in the past. Don't worry about all those things. Confess them, find their forgiveness, and press on toward the goal. That's what Jesus died for. And don't think of him as a cruel taskmaster. He's, God is like a, a loving father who is teaching his toddler to walk. And every time that toddler falls down, God is not sitting there, oh, I can't believe you fell again. I can't believe. No, God is saying, it's okay. Get up. Keep coming. Get up again. Keep coming. Keep coming. That's our God. So don't, don't worry about the times you failed in the past. Get up this morning and fight again. Number three, verse 12, hold true to what you have attained. That's actually verse 16, I'm sorry. 
hold true to what you have attained. Beloved, you don't need some new gimmick to make your faith deeper. You don't need some, there's no secret teaching out there. There's no higher plane. There's no secret key. There's none of that. All you need is what you already have. He's given you everything you need in life and godliness. Know Christ more. You have everything you need. You don't need anything else. You don't need the latest book. And I'm a bookworm, okay? But you don't need the latest book. And the last thing you need is some kid who claims he toured heaven. You don't need any of that. All you need is Jesus Christ and the word he's given to you and the spirit that indwells you. Grow deeper in that. Grow deeper in what you have. And finally, I would say this, add on to what Paul has said here, practice spiritual disciplines. Practice spiritual disciplines. Prayer, scripture reading. Set a time. Husbands, give your wife's time. Wives, give your husband's time. Parents, encourage this in your children. Children, encourage this in your parents. Nothing will make them read their Bible more than their kid walking up saying, Mom, Dad, you read your Bible today? Trust me, it works. <laughs> and so, hold one another accountable. Set an alarm on your watch. If you, don't, if, you don't, if you don't do that, if you don't make it intentional, you won't do it. Your, your routine is too powerful, okay? So find time in your current routine to place time with God. And especially given our subject here, I would really encourage fasting. Now, medically, there are some people who cannot fast. I get that but nothing will reveal your love for this world like fasting will. And I really encourage it. Don't, don't start on a 40-day fast. Don't do that. Obviously, I'm an expert at this, but don't do that. Lunch to lunch. You don't even have to go from sunup to sundown. Start at lunch one day, end at lunch the next day. 24-hour fast. There you go. Say, Randy, I'm diabetic, I'm hyperglycemic and all that. Okay, find out how many calories you can safely eat. Talk to your doctor. And then don't go above that. Okay, same thing. But try fasting. Because nothing will reveal your love for the world like fasting will. And so those are some things you can begin this week to value Christ more in your daily life. If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as your savior, I would beg you to come. You don't know the surprising, the surpassing worth of Jesus Christ. He has come to live. He has come to earn the righteousness that you need. And then he died on the cross for your sin. And then he rose from the dead on the third day for your resurrection and your justification so that you, by faith, can know God and have salvation. Years ago, there was a man who immigrated to America from England. He was a very wealthy man. He, uh, a lot like the young man I described earlier, millions of dollars. And back in that time, I mean, this, was, uh, this would be like the Bill Gates of his day. 
And he decided to start over and, and immigrate to America. And so, and obviously he couldn't carry all of his money over. He couldn't carry all of his possessions. And so what he decided to do was he cashed it all out. He liquidated all of his assets and he bought the biggest diamond you could ever find, spent all of his money on that. And his goal was to take this diamond to America and then sell it. And then from there, he would start his new life in America. A lot easier to carry a baseball-sized diamond in your pocket, right? And uh, so he got on the boat. And of course, everybody knew he did this. So he would stay in his cabin all day long, uh, guarding it. He was afraid if he left, somebody might break into his cabin. He was afraid if he went out, someone mugged him or whatever. So, uh, so he stayed in his cabin with this, with this huge diamond that all of his life savings were invested in. But he got a little, uh, as they say, cabin fever one day, so he decided to get out. And of course, everybody knew what he had, and, and so people had asked to see it, and he said no, but he just decided, you know, I'm gonna have a little fun with them. And so he walks over to the edge of the boat, and uh, he's just looking around, and he takes out this baseball-sized diamond in his hand. Everybody's watching him. He tosses it up in the air. Catches it. You could hear the gasp. <gasps> tosses it again catches it, hanging over the side of the boat, tosses it up again, catches it, tosses it up a little higher each time. And you can hear the people in the background, <gasps> just does it again. He's enjoying the attention. He does it again, does it again. And one time he tosses it up and the boat hits a bad wave and knocks him off balance and he misses. Diamond goes in the water. You say, Randy, why would anyone do that? I don't know that they did because I don't know if that's a true story. You say, Randy, no one would be stupid enough to do that. Let me ask you a question. How many of you are doing that with your soul this morning? With every breath you take, You're playing with your soul, playing games, tossing your soul with every breath, every step you take without Christ. You are tossing your most precious possession up and down. What's gonna happen one day when the boat hits a bad wave? Where is your soul gonna land? Where are you gonna go? Will it be with Christ in heaven? Or will it be facing eternity without him in hell? Christ has given us a safety net that our soul will land on. And it's his own very righteousness. Why would you trust in anything else? Stop playing with your soul. The bad wave is coming. Stop playing games and come to Christ. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for these words. We thank you so much for these truths that Christ is of surpassing value, that he is worth so much more than anything this world has to offer. And Lord, I pray if there's one here who does not know you this morning, that they are tossing their soul up and down among restless waves. With every breath they take without you, with every step they take without you, they are, their souls are in mortal danger. Lord, I pray this morning that you would draw them to yourself, 
and that they would come to know Christ. And Lord, if there's a Christian here who is placing of anything of more value than you, Lord, I pray this morning you would convict them and show them that Christ is of surpassing value more so than anything in this world that they may know your righteousness, that they may have it on their account, that they may know your power, that they may become like you. Lord, empower us this morning to be like you. If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as your savior, I invite you to come forward that I can explain to you how you can know. If you're a Christian this morning and perhaps you wanna pray to relieve something you're holding of greater value than Christ, this is your time to come. Let's stand as our musicians play for just a little while. I invite you to bow your heads just to reflect on the things we've talked about this morning. And if there's a response you want to give, I invite you to come. I invite the Lord to do business into your heart this morning. I pray the word has spoken to you, has brought you comfort, brought you peace, but also brought you challenge, brought you conviction. Whatever it is you came in need of this morning. If you came this morning in need of Christ, I'm begging you to come. Please don't wait. Your soul is a precious diamond being tossed over waves. There's coming a day where you're going to miss. What will your soul land on that day? Will you land on Christ? Or will you land on something that won't hold you? And ultimately will send you away from Christ.